This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to another episode of the 3D Pod. And we've got something completely unique today because somebody actually tr- decided to come back. <laughs> and uh, that's free. <laughs> Hello. Apart from Max, of course. Uh, so, uh, yeah, welcome, uh, Max. Uh, Thanks, Joris. How you doing? Good, man. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, and uh, also, we'd like to welcome Fried van Kran, uh, the CEO of uh, Materialize. Hi, Fried. Hi. Welcome back. Thank you for inviting me again, Joris. Yeah, anytime, anytime. We really liked chatting with you last time. And for the people who may not know who Fried is, it's a bit strange, but it could happen. Uh, 30 years ago, he started Materialize, which is still the largest definitive software company in 3D printing, making all sorts of software to check your files, to repair files, to optimize your service bureau environment, uh, to do your medical research with. And uh, on top of that, they're also a publicly traded company that is a service bureau. And uh, they they make parts for companies and they do aerospace parts and and concept cars and stuff like that. That's what Freed does. And uh, yeah, welcome again, Freed. So how are things with you guys now? Trying to glo- to climb uh, slowly out of the COVID crisis. Eh? Still ongoing, we have to make sure that we keep this world running. Well, last time we talked to you, you had quite a number of projects that you're working on that were directly COVID related. Have any of those um, come to fruition or, or what's the status of some of those? If you can talk about it. Yeah, several of them have, have really come to fruition. Although, of course, the, the peak is a little bit over to talk in uh, COVID terms. <laughs> um, but yes, we are, uh, well, we are still and we see a lot of use of our, what I call preventive devices. For instance, my own mask is uh, still with 3D printed components. And, and every employee of Materialize is, is, has been equipped with such uh, masks. But of course, we, we had those door openers where, I don't know the exact number, I, I just remember that a few months ago we went over 100,000 downloads of the files uh, to, to 3D print those door openers. And, um, well, I can testify that, that the designs are very stable. We still use them on a daily basis and all the doors of materialize and at many other places around the world. We have had uh, then also very important the uh, so-called real medical devices, the PEEP masks, and those are still extensively in use in uh, countries like Ukraine. Uh, We have a growing use in India. We have uh, uh, quite some use in in Ecuador. So there there is... uh, uh, COVID is not over yet. We dare to say that uh, PEEP masks uh, keep being used by doctors uh, as, a, as an addition to their set of tools. As an entrepreneur, have you become more hopeful about the world and the state of the world or, or, or more kind of more optimistic over the last couple of months? Definitely uh, the, the business climate is improving again. And I think uh, all entrepreneurs thrive on a, on a good business climate. 
at the same time, um, there, there definitely is a concern. Eh? There, there is a, for additive manufacturing, especially, there are really um, important opportunities to, to work on this new world. On, yeah, it, it will also depend on the, the, the climate, the, the political climate, the, the, the evolution of the world order, uh, the way people evolve economically. So it's, it's more than the technology alone that will determine the future success of, of additive manufacturing. I'm curious about one thing I've been trying to figure out, which I can't figure out, is like there's been hospital, hospitals have been busy, but they've kind of, they've delayed non-elective uh, or non-elective or non-critical surgeries. This is meant for the orthopedics market in our market that there's been a delay in these mm -hmm. kind of surgeries. Same thing for yes. dental. There's been a lot of dental mm -hmm. offices and labs have been closed for four months. Do you see that kind of thing is like like starting up again, and then and then, and are we going to be able to deal with that backlog going forward, or, or is there a spare capacity needed, or what's it, what's it, your thoughts on that? I, I only have uh, references from Materializer, and we expressed it already to to our uh, uh, shareholders, so I can't speak freely about it. Uh, in, in June, July, we have seen already a real takeoff of our activities at least, which deal with elective surgeries, level that even shows growth compared to last year. Definitely is uh, a lot of readjustment. And this is, this is, I think, a combination of the fact that people are trying to catch up, but at the same time, they cannot operate in the same, with the same efficiency uh, due to COVID. So uh, it's a, a plus and a minus that compensate each other, but overall there's growth. Okay, that's, that's super good. And then also like the other bigger question is, all right, we had all these industrialization kind of, what I call like industrialization kind of projects where we're going from having a lab machine, making a part every once in a while, making a concept car to making series parts. And the most exciting areas for me personally is space, automotive, and uh, just, well, generally kind of also orthopedics, I think. And, and, and also aero, well, and aviation, if you see it as a separate thing. Now we've seen some of these industries like automotive is nearly dead at the moment. Uh, aviation, I think Airbus sold one airplane last month or something like that. Um, yeah, uh, so so do, you expect, do you expect it to be business as usual when, it, when, when it's over, whatever that means, or whenever people decide it's over? Or do you think it's, it's gonna really change the way that we industrialize 3D printing in, uh, in a corporate environment? I definitely see positive signs. Uh, um... Yeah, in, in the medical world, we talked already about it. In the automotive world, um, at Materialize, we, we have this uh, rapid fit activity to make uh, fixtures for uh, the automotive industry. Actually, there we see that kind of 3D printed based uh, fixtures that we develop, which are combined with low weight uh, aluminum or uh, aluminum profiles or carbon tubes, they are really being accepted a lot better uh, by the people that are currently building the electric cars mm -hmm. than they were by, by the old fashioned uh, car. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, we, we see there, although still a lot of projects are, are 
being delayed, we see again an, an, a very positive evolution. The change of the industry towards more sustainable electric cars entails that more and more 3D printed fixturing components are used in the production processes. That's at least what we experience. Yeah. Uh, so that's a positive change. Is that all across the board for everything we are doing? No, absolutely not. Yeah, and if you're not familiar with RapidFit, it was really interesting. I think uh, it's a so using 3D scanning will make a really precise fixture, which then like an automotive manufacturer can use to check every well either to aid in production or to check every two hundredth bumper to see if yes. the bumper yeah, is yeah. the right sizes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and by combining profiles and a 3D print, it means it's a very accurate thing that's way cheaper than a CNC thing. I mm -hmm. think that's a really interesting business and a sign of you guys really developing that business very early and seeing that. Because I first didn't understand when I saw it, when I worked for you guys in like 2011 or something, I didn't understand why it was like a big deal. I was just fixtures like, okay, whatever, right? <laughs> We're going to print the whole car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But today they are becoming really part of the new way of working. Yeah. yeah. And, and they are extremely suited, uh, especially for the carbon fiber components. And if you want to uh, load the batteries of a car via induction, you don't want a steel or an aluminum plate at the bottom of the car. So mm -hmm. the, the the change in the market is bringing along the opportunities for, for 3D printing. And where else do you see that? Where else do you see these kind of speed change moments happening? Are there other areas or other industries where you're like, okay, we're seeing something completely different? When, when we talk about the uh, aerospace uh, industry and then especially about the, the commercial planes, I'm, I'm really wondering what's going to happen Yes, uh, there is a big uh, economic recession in, in the mm -hmm. classic passenger planes and it will last quite a while, we assume. Uh, at the same time, not only the uh, classical aeroplane builders, but mm -hmm. even a lot of the car companies have mm -hmm become interested in building planes for person transportation, right. uh, mm -hmm. even also some startups. Mm -hmm. And while the application in those big planes of 3D printing techniques is a tough thing, uh, the, mm -hmm. the parts are big, the, the, everything is big, and, and if it's a smaller parts, they often occur in many, in, in large series. Uh, and so on, in those small planes that are now being developed and launched, yeah, again, 3D printing can play a much bigger role. Let's see if this, this technology really takes off, literally. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, but if it does so, I'm convinced that uh, it, it will have tremendously larger amount of 3D printed components than traditional planes or traditional cars. Mm -hmm. And when you're, you're yeah. talking about not just the little planes, but also like the new quadcopter things that you ride on. I know like Saudi, for example, is working on a, a motorcycle, yeah. if you will, that flies in the air and stuff like that. Um, I could easily see how you printing these parts for weight purposes alone would justify. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Do you, yeah. do you think that's a huge growth industry over the next 10 years? That that's like people well, are finally going to have flying cars, you know? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Please well, don't predict we have flying cars in five years. <laughs> well, there are prototypes at, out that do fly. At, at, at least while, while this, uh, Yuris, while this was a crazy idea of a few inventors, uh, inventors mm -hmm. and, and mostly something used in comics, Today, it has become an industry. Eh? There are quite a number of uh, companies, uh, startups in, in the Netherlands, where you are from, in Germany, in, in, in the US, uh, in, in China, that are developing those cars and, and that are the startups. But BMW, Airbus, uh, they all have their efforts in this direction, which are well documented. So. Whether it will, again, whether this will become a huge market is, mm -hmm. is still something that is probably not for within five years. Mm -hmm. Five years, there is going to be development and, and there is going to be an adopters market, I think. Hey, given how, many, how, much, what a, how much the capacity of all the drones in the world have been printed with 3D, 3D printed, and how much drones have been made with 3D printing and developed as well. I also do see like ancillary markets like drones for commercial use. I think my favorite example is like, uh, I think it's in Rwanda, they use drones to to carry blood and organ mm -hmm. donation stuff and blood I think mm -hmm. is the main thing. So that kind of thing, like other air vehicles specifically for transport, I think that's actually a huge category to connect some village with the, with the port on the side, you know, in a country yes. where there's no roads. Mm -hmm. To me, the, the whole idea of having your own airplane I don't know. I don't know. I'm not entirely sure if that's 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 the way of the future. But if somebody said yeah. we're going to connect, we're going to connect every village in Africa with every port in that country, like boom, it's like a gigantic opportunity. Definitely, it will not be the uh, business model. Yeah, that that everybody will be have his own uh, airplane. I don't see. But the people that try to commercialize this kind of new vehicles they more think in new business models eh? you order such a, a plane with its driver or automatically driven right and that's another another that's another type eh? yeah like mm -hmm. an uber if you will for flying cars uh, that's uber. that's where it makes more sense in the in the long run one big company purchasing a bunch of them and then you rent it out so to speak one area where you guys have always been on the forefront is on medical, like orthopedic, CMF, 3Matic, and, and all these other software that support that kind of effort. Are you spending a lot of time on bioprinting at all? I mean, is that is that something mm. you see a big change in? Because that would seem to be really close to what you were doing and who you are. And... On one hand, uh, we do have uh, some efforts in, in that direction. Um, to give you a, a bit of a theoretical framework here, you have the on one hand the uh, yeah classic in, uh, implants that are being printed today in the classic materials. On the other side of the, the spectrum, you have really the the printing of living cells to make directly organ. Yeah. Yeah. Last category that is definitely uh, not something materialized is involved in in any way. First of all, that's really biology. 
rather than uh, the kind of mechanical stuff we are used to. Secondly, I do also do believe this is still quite uh, some time away. On the other hand, you have then some field in the middle. And that's the, the field where you print scaffolds that you place into the body and where you let the body itself be a kind of bioreactor to, to populate those scaffolds. And that's an area uh, we are involved in. And let's say our, our most advanced efforts are there with so-called bioresorbable scaffolds uh, that used, for instance, in, in those uh, studies with the babies that have a, a no, trachea, trachea problem. Yeah. Uh, so, we are uh, involved in that middle field, and as a consequence, we do understand rather well how complicated it is to make this step. We are already many, many, many years in this development together with our partners of the University of Michigan. We are not on the market yet, and this says a lot. Yeah, the scaffolds, he was talking, uh, Fried was talking about our PCL, polycaprolactone, exactly. trachea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that are just yeah. implanted and they, they, they go in your body, uh, they, they wither into your body or they go into your, absorbing your body within 30 days or so, 28, 30 days. And hopefully no, no, three years. the structure... Three, yeah, I was going to say years? it's longer than, than, than 30 days. Yeah. Okay, I thought it was, oh, I thought PCL absorbs in, okay, but then in this case it'd be three years, okay? And then hopefully yeah. the scaffold will have kind of like a, a, a boat and a barnacle, uh, the barnacles have, have, have been grown with cells and then the plastic is then replaced with cells. Yeah, exactly. I think a bunch of Koreans are, are really ahead of everyone, and there's also some well, in the states. Yeah, yeah, there are multiple groups working on this. There are quite some patients uh, that that uh, have survived uh, thanks to this technology. In in our case, babies, because it's particularly applicable to very very young children. But in other cases, it are uh, more uh, maxillofacial deviations and so on. Everything is still in an early phase and not on a very large scale yet. But there is a huge opportunity to, there's a lot of people making tons of different desktop systems, their own systems. There would be an opportunity to do like a build processor or slicing type of software for that. Do you just think it's too early or too, too dangerous or too? In that particular uh, situation, mostly the printing technology as such uh, is not an issue. The, 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 the parts that are printed there are of such a relatively simple geometrical nature that they don't require much uh, dedicated software development. Uh, but the, the, the challenge is in the, in the biological processes, in the chemistry, uh, and in, in making sure that there are no negative consequences. Part as such is, is not where many innovations are needed. Yeah? However, software can play an important role in the simulation of the of the surgery and the simulation of yeah. the of the resorption and other things. Yeah. Which I think is interesting because it can be tempting first, right? To just go ahead of everyone else because it's easy for you to do. You could do this in a week. You could build a, a rudimentary slicer for a fresh printer or for inkjet. You could be first and you could dominate this market and you could say we grow before anyone else but you seem to say that there should be value before you that's more important or? well in in this crazy yeah. concept yeah, <laughs> in, in this, no in this kind of situation software is simply not the the yeah the bottleneck for the factor yeah, yeah. 
so we as materialize have to be modest and we have to collaborate with people that really know the, the critical factors uh, which are the, the medical and, and the chemical and the resorption aspects of this uh, kind of applications. Yeah? The software side is not going to decide whether this is a success or not a success. It's simply uh, the easy part. Yeah, but a lot of people would be maybe tempted to make money off of the easy part. Yeah, but it's, yeah, you can make money where you can create a lot of added value. If, if the, the software doesn't bring, and I'm now talking about the control software of the 3D printing, yeah. bring the added value in here, it's not a lot of money to be made. Huh? But today, I think software and the growing digital world we are living in is creating important opportunities and, and where it can bring a lot of added value in relation to 3D printing. For instance, we want to move from the normal supply chains to the so-called digital supply chains uh, we will need software that manages the, the logistical processes uh, behind the, the 3D printed maintenance components and so on. And that, that is where I do think that more substantiated software opportunities are, are localized. On the medical side, the, the software opportunity and the research that Materialize is doing is going much more into artificial intelligence and manipulation of the image data, getting much more out of the image data, the medical image data, uh, making more realistic plans, making plans that predict better uh, the, the future of the patient. That's where, where software is adding, adding value, less the controlling side of the printers. So does that mean as a software company, the software and your software and your print activity have always been kind of in lockstep, you know, yeah, they've yeah. already moved towards like this new product introduction, which is related to 3D printing, but yeah. more of a software around it. Does that mean you're going to create more products that are maybe a little bit away from the, the core 3D print offering or? You know, as we were discussing the, the, the medical applications. Mm -hmm. If we look at it in, in, a, in a wider perspective, where we absolutely want to focus is creating software that makes the printers more reliable. If we want to move up the series size and if we want uh, to, to make sure that additive manufacturing, manufacturing can not be used only for very exceptional situations like the tracheal splint babies, but also in, in yeah, I would call it mass manufacturing of medical devices, then we have to make sure that we obtain the same reliability as other manufacturing technologies. And that is where uh, uh, software plays uh, a major role to monitor all the sensors, to keep the process under control, to make feedback loops, to, to yeah, adjust the process constantly, even if the laser is showing a little bit of fluctuations or if there are other process parameters that needs to be adjusted constantly. So that's, that's where uh, a lot of effort is, is going in. And then of course, uh, another side is to make what we call the NPI, uh, the new product introduction, to make sure that we come so, somewhat closer to the theme of 3D printing that when you design a part, you design it 
first time right so that is printable and secondly that uh, you control your process of your printer in such a way that even the first prints all already up to spec because today and yeah there are always refer to the world known example of the the fuel nozzle from GE eh? GE years before they had the production of the fuel nozzle stable enough to start uh, using it on 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 a commercial scale yeah uh, and this is still happening with a lot of the aerospace a lot of the medical components that it takes months up to years before a certain product can really be launched uh, in, a, in a viable way this kind of uh, shortening of these development times is it's really the objective of our fbi products and you see like so there's a lot of quality control that we would need if you're going to do that kind of thing and a lot of machine monitoring software do you see yourselves like how do you see yourselves going to market with that product is it going to be more like a build processor approach or is it going to be software that i as a manufacturer will run or is it going to be a little bit of both? Or? Exactly. It's a combination of both. Yeah. In some situations, we collaborate with, uh, with OEMs, but uh, quite often it's also in direct contact with, with end customers who have a specific production process for which they use a couple of, let's call it, standard uh, general purpose uh, metal printers or plastic printers. Uh, that they they want to be fine-tuned uh, for their specific production process. And also you need to monitor that. I think Streamix does this to a certain degree. For aerospace, you have to monitor every batch, every build, every yeah. orientation, all that kind of stuff. And You, you need to build a quality also, system around it. Yeah. So are you moving more towards that? I mean, you need to do it for the production you're doing for Airbus and other people like that. But are you also going to be moving more into that quality system, that quality assurance kind of field? Well, yes, we have started to do so years ago, and it's an increasing tendency as more and more people start using 3D printing in their production environment. So, uh, of course, the, the internal production lines of Materialize serve as a lab for these software developments, but uh, today, uh, quite some very big aerospace and medical companies work with Streamix uh, in order to organize a quality assured 3D printing machine park. How do you also, do you see, did you, you know, do you see new strategic things evolving for yourself? I mean, did you see, did you see the current situation or these sea changes that we've been talking about or these new opportunities? Have you thought differently about doing businesses in generally or the future in generally, or is it just a little problem bumping the road and we keep going the same way as we, we did before? No, I think, and, and that's happened before COVID, but it will be strengthened by COVID. The 90s, we started with uh, 3D printing as a very general technology that was used in all kinds of industrial sectors. Uh, and where during the 90s and the early years 2000, uh, a variety of, I call it, general purpose 3D printing machines were developed. That, that served all uh, a lot of different markets. Today, we move more and more in, into a direction where, yeah, especially the dental sector has quite some machine makers, software uh, development companies, uh, even material developments that are dedicated to the dental segment. Eh? 
and and this is a tendency that I see happening uh, yeah, in, in other segments as well. We will have more and more dedicated mach machines for certain what we call it materialized vertical markets where you need to specialize uh, and that tendency is requiring from materialize that, that we focus on a couple of those verticals. Yeah? Um, that's a change that started earlier and that is being accelerated at this moment. If we look back, I mean, what are your fond memories of this industry? You've been doing this now for th over 30 years. You started as a researcher and you managed to become a businessman. I, th I think not by going to school, you just I got learned along the way, right, I guess? That's not 100% correct in the sense that uh, yeah, well, immediately after my engineering studies, I did an MBA. I developed a taste for economics and I think one of my uh -huh. strong points as, as the leader of materialize is that I can balance the industry, the technical aspects and the economic aspects yeah. of this technology and that we try to make choices where technology meets uh, added value uh, in applications. And by focusing on, on where we can really create value uh, with the technology, Materialize has been able to constantly grow uh, in the 3D printing sector. This is how, how we want to develop further. This is in the DNA of Materialize to, to constantly look for meaningful applications, try to, to really build those further. Mm -hmm. And you have like fond memories, you have a lot of fond memories, I guess. This has been a major part of your life over the last 30 years. I mean, in the early days, I remember once sitting with at lunch with Philippe Schietekatte, who told me about that you put the, the, the bricks in the first SLA machine. Yeah, because we didn't have much money, we needed to save resin, which was very expensive. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah this, these things have happened, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah. Uh, of course, uh, through the years we have grown in professionality. Uh, yeah, a little bit. But uh, at the same time, yeah, we still have machines that get, that have a deeper built vessel, and others that have a. If you only need a layer, let's or, or yeah. some machines don't don't need to be that big. Yeah, again, yeah. if you're constantly building hearing aids. Uh, it doesn't make much sense that you have a, a very big vessel with a lot of resin. Right. Just a few centimeters are sufficient. Of course, there have been many, many very fun and, and rewarding moments throughout our history. Uh, there's uh, uh, a, a lot of pioneering and while pioneering can be tough, it also gives yeah, a lot of satisfaction. I still I remember when um, we were a very young company, just uh, two years old, traveling for the first time to the US and, and going to visit with our early softwares, yeah, big companies like, like Baxter Healthcare or, or uh, General Motors uh, with our software packages and, and being accepted simply to come into those companies and come as a as a five-person company a supplier to those companies yeah that's that's of course a very rewarding and fun uh, ac 
activity. Mm. Yeah. And did you do you ever did you ever have like a really fear that the company would fail? Did you think uh, we're out of business? That's it. We're gone. <laughs> I think I think oh. we have been I, I think we have been very lucky. Yeah? I've, yeah. I've never felt no we are at the border of bankruptcy. We have been extremely lucky as a company. We have never had this those kind of moments. To some extent, I think that will be well. Maybe in the very first year, we we were too young to worry. Uh, <laughs> you, you worry more when you grow older, of course. Uh, and then we had reached some uh, some stability. That that doesn't mean that that we are not constantly worried, uh, because we are in a quickly changing industry, and we constantly need to 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 wonder what is it that we need to do next, and what is threatening us in our existence. Or luckily, we are now so diversified that that it's mostly related to one or two or three of our product lines that we have to make those decisions. There are always some things that are under threat and, and then you worry, luckily, no longer that the company will cease to exist, exist but that you will have to fire people, that, that you will have to, uh, that you will really disappoint people, uh, customers, uh, by not offering good enough products anymore. So. There is a constant worry. I think it's interesting that you said, okay, the economics you got in the science bit, but I think also you're really good at reading people and with people and stuff. And I just noticed, I've just been looking while you're speaking in the, on my LinkedIn, like Johan Powell, for example, who's EVP at Materialize, who's been there for, uh, was it 25 years or something like that? No, 30. Or, or 20 years. He was 20, there. 20 years. No, yeah. 30. He was there oh, really? one month. He was there one month after we started. One month, and he's still there. Yes. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, I know Ailes says the same thing. They have all these people that have been there a long time, but that's really rare that somebody comes in a month after starting and then spends your whole career at this company. Yeah, and, and you mentioned Philip Skittekate here earlier. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he was hired in the first week yeah. of our existence. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Bart van der Schuren, our CTO, he, yeah. he joined us only after five years, but he started working in collaboration with Materialize from the first month also as a research assistant yeah. at the University of Leuven. Uh, so we have quite a number of people that, that have yeah, dozens of years truly uh, yeah. of experience in the 3D printing. And it's, I think it's a, a strong strength of Materialize to, to be able to work with such loyal and such intelligent people. Yeah. yeah, but to keep them that way, I mean, there's got to be something to take care of them. I mean, yes, you're an expanding industry, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that retention of people is not looked upon as, as, as important as it is. There's a, a, a 3D desktop 3D printer manufacturer that got rid of so much of its staff that at one point the system was too complicated for them to understand what they were making. And then <laughs> it became a really terrible system and they went from 30,000 a year sales to 4,000 in, in like a six-month period because they they weren't they weren't they didn't know what they were making so this retention of information and skill as a company i think is really key to to, to something as complex as us but are you just like did you offer them opportunities do you pay really well what's the what's the secret there to keeping these people do you think or did you select them well which i think is is also a good thing we definitely have a certain culture at materialize and yeah. and when you have a culture that is outspoken 
some people thrive in that culture and fe really feel part of it. Others are really feeling uncomfortable with the culture. Mm -hmm. So you, that's that's one of uh, the typical elements. But one, what I personally uh, believe is that we always placed our, our mission of using our technology to contribute to a better and a healthier world as, as the first objective. And uh, this is really making people enthusiastic. Yes, of course, they want to have a decent living. They want to earn money, but they also want to contribute and, and feel that they are making significant contributions to yeah, the problems of the customers, to the, the, the group at Materialize. I think this is feeling of meaning is is what keeps many people on board you've in the past you've uh you've done a number of acquisitions but not like insanely you seem to buy companies that really make sense you finally decide to move into metal you, build, you do more cam you buy a cam vendor is that something you're looking at now because it is bargain time everywhere uh at the moment or is acquisition something on your mind we have a strong balance sheet we are in a position that we can try to help some people uh, that that have valuable technology or valuable businesses and that currently got into troubles and that these are some of the things we are looking at indeed it's very exciting and how about yourself i mean are you you've been doing this for a very long time are you bored yet do you think of like uh, finding someone to take over from you or are you like no i'm gonna do this like forever no i will i will not do this forever okay i'm also really open about this internally at, at materialize there there is mm -hmm. materialize is always celebrating its five year anniversary anniversaries that's mm -hmm. why we have all the flags all the wow. <laughs> right uh, the celebrations yeah. ongoing that has a meaning we have always made five year business plans and I truly see in the history of Materialize that every five years we went through major changes and we, we, mm -hmm. we developed as a company to a new level, we developed new markets, we, we developed new product lines uh, and now we are entering, let's say, our seventh uh, five-year period. This will also be a period where I will have to make myself uh not needed anymore in the company i think <laughs> sorry about uh, that dude. i didn't mean it to be yeah. such a heavy question but okay <laughs> but it's nice that you give so much about this and i really uh, i appreciate that yeah but, so i i think that's that's how we we yeah i'm going towards 65 by the end of this period so that's how we have to think about it yeah mm -hmm. yeah it's always good about five-year plans it works for communism so you know it's got to be wonderful <laughs> But it also works. So, uh, the Sancho, the Sancho, the it's, it, it's also working for materialize. Yeah, uh, yeah. five-year period is a is a period where you can plan. In my opinion, it, ten years is too long to really. You can see some major tendencies. You can jump on some major tendencies in a in in a ten-year period, but you cannot truly accurately plan. Uh, how how the market is going to develop? What will what is feasible to do? 
So for us, the five-year periods have been extremely important. Mm. And when you go to work in the morning, what are you looking most forward to? What challenges or what things to do? Actually, I, I still like a lot of technical stuff. If, if there are some meetings where we, where, we, where we can work on some of our product development plans that are among the most uh, energizing meetings I can have in a day. Yeah? What I dislike most, if you want to know that, is to take, to, sometimes you have to take tough decisions as well uh, that, that influence the lives of people when you're yeah. in management. And that's, that's truly for me the very hard side. And if there are days that we have to do that kind of stuff, uh, I really don't like to go to work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Of course. And do you ever have these moments where you're like, I don't believe we built this? Like kind of looking around like, you know, do you believe it? Or did you always think that you know, it was going to be this big or something? I mean, do you have this amazing no, moment? No, no, no. I, I never, again, uh, I, I I never anticipated that materialize uh, yeah would become what it is now. That's truly not where I believe that uh, uh, you can ever imagine such kind of things. On the other hand, I do think I'm a person that lives more in the future than in the present, and definitely than in the past. Uh, I've, I've constantly the, this next problem, next development, next uh, step in my mind, and uh, I truly try to think uh, about it a lot and bring some concepts, some ideas to our people that they then take to reality, uh, because it's thanks to thanks to all of the collaborators of Materialize that a lot of the dreams have have really materialized. <laughs> That's perfect. Fantastic way to, to end it all, uh, yeah. uh, Fried. So thank you so much for, for being with us, Fried, once again. Thank you so much for coming back. Uh, wish all the best and and, uh, and uh, thanks a bunch. And also, yeah, Max, thank you very much for being here today. Always. Okay. And, uh, yeah, guys. Well, uh, thank you for, for giving us again this opportunity to present what we are doing at Materialize. No, it's always a pleasure. Anytime. Thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure, dude. Hey, thank you Bye. so much. And uh, everyone else for watching, uh, thank you so much for, for being here. Keep your suggestions and ideas coming. And uh, this is another episode of the 3D Pod, this time with uh, Fried van Kran, Maxwell Vogue, and myself, Joris Peels. Thank you. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.